0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner, and this episode was an incredible conversation with Lauren Conlin. So this is, Lauren is somebody that I've looked up to in the industry for a long time. She puts out amazing content and just gives practical information, is kind of both in the science and just the real world. So I love the blend of, you know, human individual variants, and also understanding and being able to apply research. And so this conversation with Lauren uh, was was incredible. So many knowledge bombs. Um, you guys are definitely going to enjoy it. And if you can do me a favor and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, please, and also screenshot this episode, tag myself on Instagram at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And Lauren Conlin is at Lauren Conlin, and that's L A U R I N C O N L I N. All right, guys, I am joined today by the Lauren Conlin. I feel like once you get the in front of your name, it means you've arrived. And I am—I
1: mean, that was pretty legit. Thank you. No,
0: I, I am honored to have you on. So I appreciate you joining me, especially on a Sunday morning.
1: No worries. I'm very happy to be on here. Thank you for asking me, and I'm glad we could make it work this weekend, regardless, regardless of what day it is. I still, I still work most, most <laughs> yeah. days. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. So I have to start by sharing a funny story. Um, so <laughs> just because of kind of how the universe works. Um, so about three to four years ago, I was working oh as a nutrition coach for another company. And it was like, that was the first time where I was like, you know what, I should probably be doing something on my own. But like most people, I was kind of scared and didn't really know what to do and just feeling like what if i had somebody to just tell me or show me what to do and i think it's funny cuz it's like a typical coping mechanism when you're scared or it's just like there's that fear of failure and you're like just tell me what to do um so you were somebody that i had respected and followed for a long time and i just like you're the first person where i really felt there was that blend of science and practical application and so that's what first kind of led me to you know pay attention to what you were putting out and So, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to send Lauren an email and see if she can like mentor me or give me some guidance on like how do I start my own business and what do I do in this nutrition space? And uh, so I just took a shot in the dark. I sent an email. I told you my situation. And to my surprise, I wasn't even sure if I would get a response, but sure enough, email pops up and Lauren basically told me to go fuck myself. (laughs) No, I'm totally joking. (laughs) Totally 100% (laughs) kidding. Um, You sent the nicest reply, uh, which, again, I was surprised to even get a response. And you gave me some incredible advice, uh, words of encouragement, and basically were like, you know, I would love to mentor you, but it's just not something that I offer right now. Um, And, you know, as it turns out, I would not change the path for anything um, to where I ended up now in my business. and, And now, fast forward... I guess it's been like four years since I sent that email and now I've got you on my podcast.
1: That is so crazy. So when you told me that at Jason's event, I was like, no way. And I was like, wait, I hope I said something nice, which I normally always, I mean, I would I would have remembered if it was something like bad, but I know you wouldn't have said that. Um, but it's just funny, like looking back, but like at that point, there was absolutely no way that I could have done any service to you besides just like basic stuff because Even now, and I've been doing this for now for almost six years, I feel like, ooh, should I give anybody advice? I don't know. And like, so back then, definitely no. I mean, I could have given you some advice, but I'm very glad that you took things in your own hands, maybe learned, fell, and then now we can reconnect in this different way. And it's just, it is really funny how the universe works that way. like, wait, what?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, you were actually super helpful. And I think that it just speaks to your character to be able to like say, you know, I'd love to be able to help you, but this isn't something that I offer right now. And I think some people may have looked at it like, oh, I can take his money and then, you know, provide shitty service. But, you know, being self-aware of what, you know, your skill set was at the time or really what you wanted to focus on. So I'm sure you could have helped me, but like your, um, you know, your direction at that time was just not in mentoring another coach.
1: It's so interesting to me. And I actually just made this post the other day, um, And it's something that's been kind of weighing on me for a while. And I was like, should I say it? Should I not? Is it going to make people upset? You know, like that whole thing. But honestly, like if you get upset by this, then maybe you should be upset. Right. (laughs) Um, And it's really comes down to the, so I, the post was actually about um, not coaching people like through DMS or like social media, right? Like I've taken a very large initiative to build a very nice website. I, you know, I answer every email, my admin answers every email. Like it, it, Not a day goes by where we don't clear that kind of inbox and get people answers, right? So the fact that some people – and I put out a ton of information on the internet. You know, like there's just lots of stuff, right? And then people will send me a message. Are you a coach? Excuse me? (laughs) So it's honestly not the fact that somebody asked that. It's the fact that, like, why would you ask somebody if you're not even sure if they coach to coach you, right? Right. Like that's where the issue is. Like why – I could have been somebody who has – absolutely zero credentials zero knowledge zero coaching experience and been like yeah i coach people it's 200 bucks a month and then they would have been like okay like you know what i'm saying like right. that's that's where it's just so crazy to me yeah. and people do that and they like i don't know where this like mindset comes from but like i just yeah it it's so insane that like you know and even now i would be like oh you know maybe i could help out now and i'm in a way different place now with my business but yeah back then like i would have felt terrible taking yeah somebody's money to mentor them and but some people might like yeah
0: no absolutely
1: so insane to me
0: (laughs) so along those lines do you think that we've actually taken a step back in like as far as our industry goes with just the nature of social media where it's like credentials are almost equated to followers and there really isn't that much as far as like does this person really even know as much as they're putting out and how can i you know reference or just you know figure out if they're a quality source or not. Do you think we've kind of taken a step back in that regard?
1: I would say it's almost like a step sideways, like because it's just very different now. Um, I think as a result of just people wanting and accepting more online coaching, it's going to be inevitable that there's more people doing it, right? Like that just makes sense. Like there's a demand and people are trying to fill the demand. Um, But I would say that, yes, social media has blurred things in a very weird way, maybe like this like sidestep of, you know, like the followers engagement, looking a certain way um, and not kind of taking priority. And I'm not somebody, and I come from a science background and, but I am not somebody who's like, Oh, science is the only way to do things. Like, I think that there's a huge flaw with thinking that way. And there are people who do think that way. And I think that's completely incorrect when it comes to coaching, but I do think that there has to be some kind of, um, you know, background or competence level that is incredibly important, and whether that's formally and or self education, I think that you have to display that, um, and you have to display that whether it's in person or online to people um, to you know actually show your credibility and just looking a certain way and jumping around like a bunny while you work out and showing, oh, this is how you're going to look. No, no, bitch. It's not how you're going to look like that, okay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like, not true. Right. Um, and there's just a lot of, you know, but that's just the nature, I think, of social. But what's interesting to me is the people who get upset when they, like, buy into that. And I'm like, what did you really expect? Like, the whole pretty dumb thing, you know yes. what I mean? Like, not to, like, bring that up or whatever, but it's like, w- did you really think
0: <laughs> yes exactly
1: that, that that was gonna be like the best option and i have no idea like what she promised what her prices are like anything like that i don't know the girl from like i don't know her at all okay but it's like are you really like this happens all the time Yeah, like that's what that's what i think is funny too people are, like maybe this a huge deal and i'm like you realize it happens all the time right yes. which is terrible but it does but she has a huge following so people are like oh well we're gonna bring her down but it's like this happens I get, and I'm sure you get the same thing with your clients. Oh, I hired so-and-so and and they didn't get back to me for two weeks and then they wouldn't change anything. Oh, it looks great. And it's like, what? Right. What?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think you're right. There has to be some responsibility on the consumer and and it's both sides. So it's unfortunate that there are people out there who are taking advantage of other people and then absolutely has to be some responsibility on the consumer to, you know, do your due diligence before you buy a product. And if you're basing the standard off of what somebody else looks like and you think that you're going to just follow what they did and get the same result, then you really are kind of starting off in a uh, place of confusion and I think just, you know, trying to educate yourself on a little bit of Uh, How human physiology works is probably a good place to start. But yes, and I also
1: think that people expect, um, I think it just uh, managing your expectations as a consumer is also incredibly important too. Um, Just because you hire somebody doesn't mean that they can do any work for you. The goal is to shorten, you know, kind of this, you know, so say you want to accomplish something, right? A really big goal, really big transformation hiring the right coach can support you mentor you help you avoid pitfalls get you there faster but they are absolutely not going to do the work for you I can't make your meals I can't set your alarm clock I can't raise the intensity at the gym for you um and those are all things that I try and instill through coaching so that somebody will you know accept those habits but it's absolutely not like oh if i buy this my life has changed. Yes. No no no. You have to change your life and your mindset and the coach will augment that process.
0: 100%. I'm so glad you said that. That's like putting your money out there and investing in a coach is just like your entry to play the game. And mm-hmm. you still have to, you know, you still have to put in the work after that and um you know, there's, you know, again, it's one of those things that it goes both ways. So, you know, being a good coach will be able to meet you where you're at and help educate exactly. you through the process and like you said time collapse and all of that. Uh, But there's also the responsibility uh, to be coachable and, you know, not expect the work to just happen just because you paid the money for it to happen. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we've kind of jumped in and I didn't even give you a chance to properly introduce yourself. And one of the things that I just enjoy hearing about is like people's kind of journey into This industry in general. So like your first introduction into fitness and then what was the point that like you realized, you know, I want to do this for the rest of my life?
1: Yeah. So my first, I guess, entry was weightlifting in high school. Uh, I ran track and field and cross country. And I really started enjoying the weightlifting portion and it was very basic. Like I'm talking like, you know, good mornings with a 45 bar was like, oh my God, the like highlight of our week, you know, like, but it was something, right? Um, And I started realizing like, oh, I really like this. And then I actually joined a gym um, in high school. So I I was like, well, I came from an eating disorder background, so I was always like very hyperactive. And then I you know, transition into track cross country. I also rode horses growing up competitively. So I owned horses, had to, you know, basically go to school, go to track, take care of my horse. And then I would also go to the gym sometimes and lift weights, air quotes. And because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, And then I was like an avid spin class person. So I would take at least once a week, um, but sometimes twice and just, you know, just doing a lot. So I really enjoyed that. And then I started realizing that I was enjoying that more than running At that point. Um, And so when I graduated, there was a, like, you know, that few month period of summer before you go away to college. And I joined this other gym, which was, like, a total meathead bro gym where everybody was a bodybuilder. And I, like, fell into this group of bodybuilding guys, all different ages, like, background. I mean, it was just crazy. But, like, literally, we afternoons, like, when they got out of work and I was done doing whatever I was doing as an 18-year-old, um, we would show up and we would train for a few hours. And, like, it was just, like, the best – literally, like, the best summer ever. And so I thought that that's what every gym was. Like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Um, and at that point, I had gone to a show. Um, the guy I was dating at the time before this was a bodybuilder. So I would kind of known what bodybuilding was. And then I had gone to a show that summer now and was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Like, the figure girls were, like, so awesome. Like, I want to do this. And um, so then fast forward, I go to Florida State, which is not the same kind of culture, (laughs) putting it mildly, as I had there. Um, And but it was fine. You know, I still ended up, you know, in the weight room with the guys working out, still like learning, but like still like not what I know now. But, you know, I was in there just working my butt off. (laughs) Um, And then I came back, you know, for that summer and I was like, you know, I'm not going to do this show. Like I just I had some injuries and I was like, I'm not going to, you know. I don't know what I'm doing. And the lady who really pushed me to try and do this, uh, she was like, no, you have eight weeks. Like you're going to get on stage. I was like, Oh, okay. So what do I do? And everybody was helpful, but not telling me exactly what to do, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I'd be like, so what should I eat? And they're like, well, here's a few things you should do. And I'm like, so, or like work, you know, but it actually really helped me because then I kind of learned my own way. But it was still, it was, you know, it was pretty bro. But at the end of the day, most people who diet it ends up being pretty bro. So, like, we can talk about that as well. But anyway, so it ended up being really good. I was, like, 19 and did my first show. And I was, like, okay, this is cool. But I need some muscle (laughs) because I'm pretty scrawny (laughs) compared to these girls. Um, So now I'm at Florida State, you know, for my, I took two years off. I'm, you know, in school for exercise science. I get involved with research. I'm, like, super into this. Like, love it. Balls deep. This is great. I decided to start competing again, um, this time now way more experienced, you know what I mean? So I started doing some more figure shows, realized that figure is not for me as a natural 21 year old, (laughs) um, and figure in 2013 and 2014 was way different than it is now. So like, I, I mean, you can just imagine like it's, it was just like, it was like a joke. So I made the transition pretty seamlessly to bikini at that point. Um, did a few bikini shows and then actually ended up turning pro, um, November of 2014. So now I've graduated Florida State, and now I've gone to USF for grad school. So I've been competing, graduate, undergrad, decided to go to grad school, um, and then I'm kind of like, whoa, now I'm really in it, right? Like, now I'm a IFBB bikini pro, I'm in my master's, Like I'm going to do research, like, this is really cool. And at this point, I had been coaching, like, a few people, you know, just... Hey, you want to coach me? And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. like that kind of deal. Yeah. Um, like a handful of people. And I didn't have a website. I didn't have a business name. I didn't have, I mean, nothing. Like it was like some people paid me in cash. Like, I mean, that's just how it was, right? Um, And then after I turned pro, uh, Paul and Lane sat me down and were like, hey, like you need to like actually start this, like have a business name, get an LLC, <laughs> like have a website, like do the whole thing, right? Like get a YouTube channel. Right. Uh, I was I've always been like really out of the loop with that kind of stuff. Like I just, I am not somebody who like ever gravitated towards social media. I never was like, Oh my God, I want to have this. Like, no. So I was just so lost, but I was really just focusing on school and, you know, trying to put some stuff out there and grow the business very slowly, but really again, focusing kind of on school. Um, I did my research project, which was very, very um, hands-on and, like human interaction because they would come to me and I would ask them all these questions, you know what I mean about, cause I basically looked at how different types of dieting affect weight loss and weight regain. So I was with these people for a period of dieting and a period of not dieting. And I was able to ask them all these kind of detailed questions. And I feel like I coached, you know, like 30 people, you know, in that time period. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was very interesting I didn't coach them in the sense of like helping them because that would have been not um, you know allowed for research, right. but it, that would that would definitely skew the results. But it was more of just like asking questions and getting feedback from them. So it was really cool, and I realized like okay, I, you know I like this, and I you know now at this point I've been slowly building up more clients, and then once I graduated, I was like okay I'm ready to do this full time and out. So that had been like two and a half years, almost three years of like really really slow concentrated you know, focusing on school, but building up clients and building up systems. And then immediately took that into full-time. Um, really, like, January of 2016, so, like, my last semester of, of grad school. Um, I had very, like, class load. I was actually gone for a month in Australia. <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm going to be gone. I'll see you guys when I get yeah. – I'll get all my work done, though, but I'll see you guys when So we were speaking in Australia, so I was like, well, this is kind of way cooler than <laughs> – um my last like little bit of school um but yeah so it was just a lot of really good opportunities that kind of lined up and so really like you talk about blending that kind of science and research and practical stuff all in one and that was like what i my biggest takeaways from all those years and then now that's what i do full-time
0: yeah that's awesome and there's so many great things about that story but i think um first what stands out is the fact that like i said what what uh, kind of drew me to you was that you were able to take kind of the science and research, uh, which I loved to kind of geek out on myself and make it just very easily digestible, but then also, you know, be able to present that this is just what, you know, X research said, or this one study that we still have to factor in the human element, and that everyone's different, there's individual variants. And like, you were one of the first people that I, you know, kind of um, paid attention to that was talking about that and not being so married to like, well, this study showed a slight advantage to fasted cardio over fed. So like everyone should be doing fasted cardio. And like, you know, so I think that maybe it was the original research study that you were doing for your master's that kind of led you down that. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So in my undergrad, like I said, I, I started helping out with research. So I was basically getting credits for being a lab assistant. So there was a guy in his master's program. Um, I helped him out pretty much for a few semesters and so I, I realized that wow I really don't like this study <laughs> because I didn't like the study at all but it was a really really good learning experience right to kind of see like these hands-on things and like all these measures and and whatever um, <clears throat> just for why I didn't like it it was a endurance study so it was like a they were highly trained highly trained endurance athletes and we were basically looking at how, how different protocols for downhill running affected muscle soreness and all this stuff so it was actually a really cool study um but it was not something that was like in my like oh my god i really like this because i didn't care as much about aerobics yeah. as i did with like dieting and resistance training but i knew that okay i like this whole element so when i went to grad school i was like we we're just kind of throwing ideas around and i was like why don't we look at this because i like i don't think anybody's ever looked at that and when i was doing the research it was you know, research for the research. It was pretty obvious that this has never been done like, ex- like head on. Um, and you have to understand like most people really don't give a shit about this <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. Like my advisor is a like gem. Um, Dr. Bill Campbell is absolutely amazing. And he has one of the pretty much the leading program for physique science. Right. So he is one of the only people that I know who cares that deeply about physique science and has dedicated his entire life now to building the lab out to be just that. Um, and from when I've been there to now, is just night and day amazing. And we have literally female physique research, like training studies happening every semester. Like it, that, I never would have thought that would happen. He knew like literally his vision was like, this is happening. And I was like, okay, like we'll make it happen. But no, like this man was like on a mission and now that's exactly what we're doing. So I was, you know, in the research, there's a lot of kind of different things, right? Like, and then my goal was to kind of bring it all together. Um, and this is, again, a very pinpointed one kind of study, and there's so many nuances to it. But, like, the reason that research can't be looked at as, like, like, oh, my God, this is it, unless you're looking at, like, a review paper, is because there's so many intricacies that you can't look at in a study. And there's so many intricacies that you can't do just based on funding, people like who's running the study, like adhere. I mean, there's literally hundreds of factors of why you can't study. People are like, oh, why can't you study this? It's like, have you ever done a research study? Like, I know exactly why people don't do certain studies. And think about it, like you and I are pretty interested in science. Like, do you want somebody telling you exactly what to do for you know the next year? Probably not, right? You're like, no. I kind of want to do it on my own. (laughs) So, you know, you have to factor all these things in. So people who are pretty advanced are not going to want to have, you know, a scientist come in and be like, hey, can you do this? You're like, no. (laughs) Um, And maybe for short term stuff, like I'm finishing up at like a little case study, like not publishing, but like just some, a training case study that we're doing. And even it was eight weeks. I'm like, oh, I'm so excited for this to be done this week. So I can like get back to doing what I want to do. And it's just, you know, so that there's a lot of downfalls with research in that sense, but you have to use it as a tool to okay, let's look at this one thing, and then we can use logic to, you know, proceed afterwards. I actually was just talking to somebody about this on why basically I went to school to learn how to understand things better and how to learn better and how to research and read research better. Like in school, like you might learn some things that are like, Oh, this is really awesome. And then you like kind of go down the rabbit hole or like just basic fundamental principles, but nobody's going to school for a good reason and learning like exactly what to do for something. Cause that's not what the point of education is, you know? So really like the, the amazing part about education or advanced education, if you're in a good program is, Hey, you learn some great stuff, you learn some fundamentals, you learn some application, but then you are now equipped to understand how to learn and to teach people later down the line.
0: Yeah, I love that perspective. Uh, that's perfect. And I think that, um, you know, this may be a tough question to answer, but on the spot, if you can think of something that you were led to believe based off of research. But then once you kind of got in the trenches and you saw anecdotally that it didn't hold up when you were actually dealing with real people and you were like, oh, okay, well, this research, even though it points to this direction, anecdotally, I see it kind of differently.
1: So this is going to be kind of a, kind of a big one. <laughs> but there are some groups of the science, air quotes, fitness community, that think the only thing that matters is calories and protein. If you hit that, Nothing else matters. And I would say to a large degree that that is true for most people, but that does not tell the story for everybody or for maximal results. Okay? So, yes, calorie control is very important. If you're misaligned with your calorie goals, you are not going to see results, whether it's health, body fat loss, muscle gain, yada, yada. Likewise, if your protein's not in a certain area. So, I'm not saying that that is untrue, but a lot of people try and almost dogmatize that to say that nothing else matters. And I think that that is absolutely false. Like, there are other things that matter, and little details do matter, particularly if your goal is very specific, right? So, if you're looking at like performance or extreme body composition changes or anything like that, like, Things like meal timing matter. They don't matter as much as if you got your calories in, but they sure as fuck matter. <laughs> and like the fact that people try and blindly just say like, no, it's just calories. Oh, eat whatever you want. Eat, eat a Reese's every day. Like not saying you can't do that, but there are way more nuances than those people are trying to say. Like, yes, if your calories are out of balance, then it doesn't matter what your hormones look like. But I've seen a lot of people who are in their proper calorie balance. And if certain things are skewed, then they're not going to be getting the results that they're looking for. So it, everything goes together ultimately. Um, and I think that when people really try and say like, this is the only thing that matters, like it, they lose kind of the the nuances. And I understand that sometimes the nuances can really um, scare certain people away And I don't think that that's what we need to focus on. Like, I think it just matters on where you're at, right? Like, if you're somebody who's, like, has no idea, like, what is going on with their fitness, nutrition, whatever, like, you're not going to be like, hey, have you had a sulforaphane today? Like, do you know it's good? This in Brussels, like, no, like that, that doesn't matter. (laughs) You know what I mean? But like, like, so then that's where you kind of say, okay, let's make sure that we're getting three meals in protein three times a day and watching your portions. Like, that's kind of where you start with that, right? Um, but it's a continuum and I don't think that people can just ignore that like little details matter. Yeah. Um, and that, that really, really bothers me when people try and just pretend like that's the only thing that you should care about. "Mm."
0: Yeah. And if that were the only thing that mattered, then there would not really be a need for coaches because we could just, you know, print out calories and protein and send people on their way and that would be it. But we know that, you know, adherence and sustainability and just how about the fact that we all have different shit going on in our lives. So yeah,
1: different genetics, different right. gut microbiome, different. I mean, literally there's some people who tolerate different macronutrients differently than others. You know yeah. what I mean? And some people like they are on different medications and some people have different like hormone. I mean, like there's so many things. And I think that, um, I was, you know, kind of in that camp originally, except everybody I was surrounded by like, Oh, it doesn't matter. And then now I'm like, wait, stuff does matter and I've become a better coach I think and an educator because I have focused on those not solely I don't I don't disregard the other things because that's obviously incredibly important we have to have that under control first but once you have that under control you need to start looking at the different layers Um, the other big thing in science that I think uh, air quotes again um, is hit became like the thing to do like if you weren't doing hit You were a bro scientist through and through, you know what I mean? And I don't care what people say, but literally, if you have ever done hit in an extremely depleted lean state, it is like the worst thing possible for like recovery, how you feel, injury rate, like there are so many downsides to it. So like a lot of people saw in the research, like, oh, this is really good. Okay, the research was not looking at people. I'm just talking now in a competitor standpoint um, because this was like really perpetrated through like the physique community like, oh, steady states for the bros, hits for the science people, like you got to do hit. Um, yeah, well, if the research actually was not in super dieted, super lean, carb depleted individuals, um, and you know, like if you're, if you have maintenance or surplus calories like yeah you can do some hit and recover from that but when you're eating 50 grams of carbs (laughs) and you've been dieting for 24 weeks doing a bunch of hit may not be the best idea um and that was another thing too like now i have some clients who love hit don't care how depleted they are they respond great to it and i'm like y'all are some aliens but okay i'm gonna keep it in for you you know what i mean then there's other people like myself it completely trashes them like completely um and so there's just again nuances and you can't just say oh there was a paper or a few that showed that hit burn better calories like like there's no context to that right (laughs) for a specific community so yeah those would be two big ones
0: (laughs) yeah those are great and i think to your point it just shows that there's also even within the research individual variants and then the study is just reporting the average or the mean and so you know we still know that Um, even if it's tightly controlled, which doesn't really mimic real life. But um, even in that circumstance, there's still going to be individual variants. Um, And the thing that's interesting to me about it is kind of what you talked about with some people responding well to certain protocols. um, It was more of like the psychology behind it of like what's the mindset and how can we make this as sustainable as possible for you, especially when you're trying to get to extremely low levels of body fat percentage. There's a huge psychological piece to it. And, uh, you know, you had mentioned in the beginning, um, you kind of briefly mentioned that you kind of had an, an eating disorder past. Um, so I'm curious about like what that looked like and then how that kind of, um, went hand in hand with competing. Cause I imagine that that lifestyle or just being around that environment, um, you know, did it exacerbate it? Was it something that you had dealt with at the time and overcame? Um, can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So my eating disorder was very, very young before I ever got into competing. So I was, I would say that I started the anorexic tendencies when I was like eight years old and it got, it was very mild, but it got pretty bad. Basically I started restricting things around that age and then, you know, by 10 it was like, okay. And then, you know, it really kind of came to a head at like 12, 13. So, um, so those like early years is when I would say that I was having more of the issues. Um, I went to therapy, saw a dietitian, did the whole thing because I was you know obviously very thin, very undernourished for a you know <laughs> adolescent. And, uh, that actually is what got me interested in going to school to be a dietitian <clears throat> because I was already so obsessed with food. Um, and I was like, people get paid to do this. Like, that's cool. And, uh, so I, when I went to Florida State, I actually started out as a dietetics major, um, completely recovered at that point. But then I realized very quickly that I did not necessarily agree with their, um, with all their teaching, <laughs> which is why I switched, um, to exercise science, like my third year. But, um, so I do have a little bit of the dietetics background too, but I was like, this is not, this is not for me. <laughs> um, but anyways, so it, you know, when I, when I did decide to start competing, people did initially get a little worried, even though I had been kind of far removed from the eating disorder, they were like, Oh, is this just another, are you like relapsing almost? And I was like, no, I'm not just trying to starve myself. Like I have to like still have muscle, you know what I mean? Like it's different. Um, Cause when I was, you know, obviously very thin, like it was, you know, barely eating doing, like, 500 sit-ups before I left the house, running wherever I could. Like, I just love running. And I would just, like, I mean, it was just very, very disordered. So, like, I wasn't, I was very far removed from that. Um, And I was like, no, like, I actually have to, like, preserve my muscle mass. Um, And so this is way different. And then um, I never, I I don't say, I, I do not, when I was in the throes of competing, you know, even the early years, I never relapsed into, Oh, I'm just not going to eat. You know what I mean? Um, If anything, it actually kind of created the other kind of problem. It's like, all I want to do is eat, um, which is very interesting. Um, And I would say that that's almost something that more competitors struggle with is more of the binge tendencies or wanting to overeat, you know, overeat and then restrict kind of cycles, um, but not necessarily as much anorexia. And you know, again, that's not for everybody, but most people who are competing, I would say, are not necessarily anorexic because that's a very different mindset of um, it's just completely different. But I do think that people do fall into the binging, restricting kind of things a lot more. Um, and that's honestly just a byproduct I do believe of the. Low body fat, the low calorie, and the mindset, you know, just like kind of everything about it. Um, but I do think it can be a very positive thing for people if they are fully recovered. If you're not fully recovered, I would absolutely not suggest going into a competition prep. Um, I see a lot of people try and do comp preps to fix things um, in their life, <laughs> and that is a total recipe for disaster. Um, it's actually really sad when you see it. Um, And I know a lot of people who do that and it's just like, oh my God, please stop. Do not do another show for the love of Christ. (laughs) And uh, because you know how much they're struggling, you know what I mean? So it's like hard to see it. Um, And then a lot of people too, and this isn't necessarily an eating disorder, but it's more of just kind of a mental disorder. I would say that people end up tying their self-worth and how they look exclusively, you know, together And that kind of the competing brings that out because basically, and I've talked about this before and it's when you're competing and people know it and you're getting leaner and you're getting smaller to an extent, once you get to like, kind of like that stage lean, it's like, okay, you look not too good. But when you're kind of getting down there to a certain point, everybody's complimenting you every time you take a picture. Oh my God, girl, you look so lean. You look so good. Or like people in person. And there's just like always like constant, like, you know, building you up. um, and then what happens is people, when they stop looking like that, they don't hear that anymore. And then they're like, oh, my God, I need this again. And like, I need to get back to where I was. And then it creates this really crazy cycle of kind of the overdoing it. Oh, I got to get back on a prep. Overdoing it. Restrict on a prep again. And it, it, it's really yes. not good.
0: So you just nailed on the trigger for me because I've never competed before but i am fascinated with the ability to manipulate our bodies to get to a mm-hmm. you know unsustainably low level of body fat percentage yeah and this um, you
1: don't have to compete to be interested in this it's yeah. just
0: so but to to that point i know myself very well and i know that i would see myself at an absolutely shredded state and then once i and I also know logically that I would need to allow, you know, a recovery time and, you know, I would have to put on some body fat afterwards. And I would be, I would have a hard time with that. I would try and like that shredded state that I would achieve, then that would almost be in my mind, like that needs to be my new norm. And that would be something I know I would struggle with. And so I'm wondering if if you went through that or kind of how oh, you work through still. it with your clients.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's honestly, it is. It is the hardest part because once you've been, once you've looked that way, you know that you can get there and we somehow forget about all of the terrible things that we had to do to get there and you're like, well, I mean, I I feel pretty good. Like, so that's the thing. It's really funny. So like when you compete typically or you're just getting really, really lean, say you're like doing a photo shoot or whatever, you're going to like kill yourself to get that lean. And then peak week, at least for us, is generally easing off of things, eating more. So now you're like reaping the benefits of like I look really good, but I'm eating, so I like I feel fine. So you're like I can keep doing this, <laughs> and then you like forget what like got you there, right? Right. Um, and it's so it can be so misleading because now you're looking better, you're feeling better, you're like this is great, I could do this forever, but no, you can't. And I, I there is a big, and I truthfully believe this, there is a big genetic component to it as far as like some people who are. People who are naturally leaner than others are not going to have as many adverse side effects. And I truly believe this. And I've seen this over and over with certain clients um, than people who maintain at a higher body weight. You know what I mean? And, and it's just, it's very different to everybody. Um, but like for me, I'm naturally just not that lean. Um, and I have to really, really kill myself to get that lean. And that's fine. Um, but I can't stay there because literally physiologically and mentally, I'm. Completely, just a pile of shit. Yeah, <laughs> like there is just like some people can function fine, and I'm not even just saying this. Like they're like, "Oh, I'm fine," like they actually are. Um, but for me, like that is just not the case. So it, it is very, very hard, and you have to basically you have to look at. And when you're coaching people through this, they will oftentimes, "Oh, I just love how I look right now," and it's like, "Yeah, but have you read the past three updates you sent me? You haven't been sleeping. You feel like shit. You're chronically hungry." You can barely work out. You hate your spouse. I mean, like, like there's lots of, like, things that we need to look at that this is unsustainable. Um, so the, that's where you have to pretty much coach people through, like, hey, we can't stay here because of this laundry list of things that are not going well. Um, and then basically when you, somebody is off-season and working out of this, and off-season means not just competitors, it's just any time when you're not dieting, um, is, okay, we need to focus on other things. Like, let's focus on gym You know, like even if you're not necessarily like a strength athlete, you can still focus on strength goals. So like, even if it is just bodybuilding, okay, you shoulder pressed this much for eights last week, let's go up and hit tens, like, you know, just things like that. Um, So strength really just basically removing yourself from just physique goals is incredibly important. So most, for most people that's doing like some kind of training goals are so, so valuable. Um, And then I also try to tell people like, hey, do you like self-development life goals? You know, like other things like, okay, are you like reading every week? Are you listening to podcasts? Are you like going to this event? Are you taking a completely not fitness related thing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, do you like, I don't know, like what other shit people like? You know, like, like art, do you like paint? I mean, like, you know, you have to like, I found that my, the clients that handle this the best are people who have interests outside of just competing. So, like, if somebody's like really artistic, or maybe they have a job that's completely outside of the fitness industry, um, or they travel, or they, you know, like just different stuff, right? When people only have fitness, things get really scary because they have no other outlet, and that's the only thing they attach themselves to.
0: Yeah, and I think that's super powerful. And like, just look at quality of life because getting to that level and you know being able to compete or even you know if you're just an everyday person who wants to get to an extremely low level of body fat percent like the quality of life suffers so you're naturally going to have to sacrifice going out with friends and you know being social and maybe you know your sex drive is shit and your spouse is upset because of that i mean there's definitely sacrifices that need to be made so i love that perspective on like let's think about it from a quality of life standpoint as we reverse out of this because we know yeah. it's not sustainable and it's not you know healthy to stay that way so I'm and wondering have to
1: force that into people's like like week yeah. too sometimes you know like hey this week we're not changing anything but I need you to go do this yeah <laughs> or I want you to go do that or try this
0: <laughs> yeah and I think it's it is a fine line so I'm wondering how you assess when you're dealing with a client um, you know first of all if their mindset is in the right place to even consider competing um, because you mentioned that sometimes they're doing it to you know maybe fill a void or fix a problem or, you know, just their intentions may not be in the best place. So how do you kind of assess that first part of, um, you know, would I even suggest competing? Uh, And then what are kind of like the right reasons? And I'm using that in quotes if they're really, you know, obviously it's going to look different for everybody, but maybe you can speak to your own experience of like what the allure was for you initially Mm -hmm. and then what you see commonly with your clients.
1: So at this point now, I've worked with so many people that I can almost read an intake form and know where their intentions are. Um, And that honestly is just experience Um, and working with a lot of people. So there's really no crazy insight I can give you there. The one thing I will say as a coach that I do not compromise on is I will work with somebody before they compete. And this is something that I really, really hammer home. And a lot of people don't wanna hear this, but it's just my my reality for what I do. Um, Now everybody's timeline looks different because some people do come to me in a good place. Um, but most people I would say do not. So um, I usually will tell people like, Hey, like if somebody's like, awesome, like killing it, every box is checked off, you know, like eating a good amount of food, you know, has a good relationship with food, uh, training hard, recovering, you know, not over, you know, just all these good things hasn't dieted in a little while. All that stuff's good. I'm still like, Hey, let's take this month to work together. So we can just, you know, Really kind of writing that consistency in, learn how each other works, you know, communication skills. Like I will not just prep somebody unless I've worked with them before and I know them very well. Um, But generally speaking, even then I'm like, hey, let's take a little bit of time. Um, Even if it's just a few weeks. But for most people, most new clients, it's like, hey, we're going to take at least three months together. We're going to see where we kind of are at and then we will reassess from there. Um, and that's a very just broad baseline. But some people it's a month, some people it's a year. Like I mean, like it just really depends. And some people are just not in the place to compete. And you got to be like, hey, there's a difference of like I want to compete or I want to be competitive. And if somebody comes to me and is like, hey, I want to be competitive, I'll be like, well, you're you're not going to be competitive this year. So we probably need to reverse, maybe do like a little bit of a mini cut. Verse again, and then do a full blown long diet. And some people don't want to hear that, but I'm like, well, I'm here to tell you the truth. <laughs> That's my job as your coach. Yeah. Um. And it, you know, what I've found is that there will be that. It's scary for new coaches, um, maybe or even not new, just established people. Um, when you are potentially throwing away a inquiry, you know what I mean. Um, but anytime I have faltered from that which has been like a few times it's just never ended well and it just doesn't sit well with me um, so do not be afraid to do the right thing and kind of stick to your like morals when it comes to like your coaching style and I would say that yeah there's and that kind of goes into the next part like what are the right reasons to compete and there really is no right reason um, because everybody has different reasons why they want to do it and there is again a difference of wanting to compete versus be competitive some people simply are like you know what my life turned to shit this year got a divorce somebody in my family died i lost my job i'm gonna do a competition i'm focusing on something you know positive putting all my energy into it and i'm gonna do this right that person may not care about being competitive they just want to get on stage so that's a totally different thing then you know it's kind of like if somebody signs up for a half marathon right like somebody wants to win and then somebody just wants to finish it it's the same thing with physique sports i probably wouldn't recommend that like because it is so intensive so you got to kind of least like like it um whereas the you know the half marathon you can just kind of do it um Not spend thousands of dollars on it. Um, But you you know what I'm saying, right? But then if you want to be competitive, um, I mean, the right reasons... It's just so hard. I'll I'll, I'll speak for me. Um, I really enjoy the structure and the challenge of it. um, And the... I'm very good with delayed gratification, and I always have been, and bodybuilding is like the ultimate delayed gratification, right? Now, sometimes you can be a little impulsive. You want to be like, oh, fuck, I just wish this would like – I wish I would just add five pounds of muscle. I wish I could just drop 10 pounds of fat. Like, yeah, that's great. But it really kind of allows you to hone in that skill of this delayed gratification and this kind of, okay, what does dedication – really mean and what I think people mess up though with competing or just bodybuilding in general is they only apply that mindset to the prep and not the off season and I've been majorly guilty of that myself um because it's really easy to dial in when you have this like scary goal in front of you it's way harder to dial in when you don't have that in front of your face and it's like hey you gotta add three pounds of muscle that you're basically not gonna see and you're gonna have to be doing a lot of things that, you know like you're, you're, right like at the end of the bikini comp, okay, I'm wearing a bikini on stage. Like, like that's going to be very motivating. It's not as motivating to be like, Hey, you're going to probably be like 15 pounds off your stage weight. You're going to be training. It's going to be hard. You're going to be pushing foods. Like nobody really wants to stick with it. Then they're like, ah, whatever. I'll just do whatever. And I can say this because I've done that a bunch of times and not taking it seriously. And then when prep comes on, it's like, Oh, I'm on. And If you want to be successful, you really have to be able to hone in those skills at all times. They're just going to look different with the outcomes. Like prep, you're going to be hungry, you're going to be tired. Off season, you're going to be maybe a little bit uncomfortable and kind of pushing things in a different way.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great perspective. And, you know, there is value regardless of whether you want to step on stage or not. I think that going through the experience of, you know, seeing how far you can push yourself and just, you know, getting to, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I, you know, I'm not even sure how to measure this. Like I've done in-body scans or whatever, but they're not accurate. And, you know, I've I've seen 7% and I've gotten myself to, you know, very low levels of body fat. And there is just something about the discipline that it takes and realizing that you have control over more than you think. Um, the fact that, you know, one thing for me was like learning that hunger wasn't like this alarm that needed to be fixed on the spot, you know, like just being able to sit with that feeling and accept it and understand it. And then, you know, I think that there's some psychological benefits to it. And obviously there can be the adverse effect in the wrong context, um, like we've been talking about, but there are some kind of lessons that you can take from just the discipline of, of getting to that level. So I think, um, you know, what were, what were some of the things that you kind of learned about yourself through the process of competing?
1: that when you are in the right mindset, that you can truthfully do more than you think. So like this last prep was definitely like the hardest prep I've ever had. Um, Not from just a physique standpoint, but like a life standpoint. So business full time. Um, I was traveling several times a month. Um, I was buying, (laughs) me and Ryan were buying a house um, moving, like literally everything that was coming up. Um, and it was all good stuff, but it was just a lot, you know what I mean? Um, but I somehow managed and I made it right. And everything, honestly, you know, at a, at a point it kind of deteriorates because of how lean you are. But before you get to that, like scary ledge, (laughs) things are generally like pretty manageable, right? Like, yes you're hungry. Yes. You got to go do this. Right. Um, but it is still within the context of like, okay, I can do this. And it really just almost empowers you to be like, wow, I can actually handle this. Um, and I don't know whether like exactly what it is. Right. Um, but then at the same token, you know, you can't be like that forever. Just from a energy, um, available energy availability perspective um because there are certain things that you kind of end up putting off because the other thing it's just about our goals right so like if the number one goal is to step on stage that's always going to take the precedence right and then at the other side of the coin it's okay well i can't always be doing that right well i could but i don't want to so now if business is number one then other things are going to come after that and that's physique right so you kind of have to don't know it it is a very empowering feeling but you do have to know kind of when to step away as well but you can use those lessons through other areas of your life right and it's just going to look different like you know for business stuff it might be you know okay hey i didn't make it to the gym today but i got all of this done and it's going to set me up for success for this other thing um so it's pretty much the same thing like business and fitness are very very similar
0: definitely
1: um and i never really understood that until kind of recently like ish And they really are. But you just have to look at it, you know, in that way and realize um, that if I only care about my physique, number one, then the other things are never going to be number one. You know, so you have to know when you're giving it your all, like you're giving it your all for that. And then likewise for the other stuff, like, you know, you have to balance out different things. So there's never really balance. It's just about like, okay, how much priority am I giving to this one thing? And if it's number one, that has to be the, the like, kind of bedrock of everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I made a post exactly about that, which basically said balance is bullshit because if you do have a priority... Then that's your priority. And naturally, you're not going to be able to take care of the other things in your life. And that's just the nature of it. And I think to your point, you can draw off of that experience when, you know, you are going through this, you know, my number one focus is getting my physique to a certain level. And you realize that you had to sacrifice other things to make that happen. And then when you are shifting your focus to go, you know, 100% 100% on your business and you're like all right these next 3 months I am going to just work my ass off and grow my business as much as I possibly can and then you start to feel bad about maybe your relationships or you know your physique maybe falling off but you have that experience to realize that you know when I had this other priority I had to sacrifice and now my priorities okay. have shifted and I still have to make sacrifices for this you know this goal
1: oh yeah it's really hard because I'm so used to the the athlete side of it. And then also the school side of it. Like, okay, I got to grind this out from school. Like I got this or, you know, dieting, like prepping for a competition is so hard, but I've done it so many times that I'm like, oh, okay, I can do this. The business thing has been really interesting. You know what I mean? Like we're really trying to focus on that and like, you know, growing it to be like, this is, my everything now, you know what I mean? Um, it's been different because yeah, your physique kind of does take a backseat. So you're like, oh shit, is that like good, bad? Like, but it's just the reality. And I don't know if you, um, if you listen to Ed Milett, Yeah. he did a really good podcast on this with like balance. Um, he has a really good podcast. If you guys haven't checked it yes, out, definitely um, recommend it. Yeah. He has great ones by himself that are like shorter, but very like to the point and great guests too. Um, but he did one about this with balancing, you know what I mean? Like you can't have everything totally perfectly balanced, like whatever your priority is, like you have to go after that right now and that's okay. You, you can't neglect everything else and you can't do that forever, <laughs> but it's okay to have those times of like the, almost like those sprints towards different things.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so I wanted to circle back around to something you mentioned about when you have somebody, a client, a potential client who's coming to you and you said a lot of the times they come to you from not the best place to go into a prep. Um, but that applies to general population as well because how many times have we seen you know diet
1: just in general exactly so
0: somebody coming to you and you know saying i want fat loss yesterday and you're like okay great like what have you been doing and it's you know 1200 calories or less and cardio every single day and you know it's just having to have that conversation about you know we actually need to do the opposite of what you want, and it's a really hard conversation to have. So, you know, you mentioned kind of how you shift the focus to maybe more performance, um, but talk a little bit about, like, reverse dieting and when you have a client in that position, um, how you kind of explain to them what the advantages are going to be of a reverse diet and then, you know, just some, like, practical application of what we're looking for versus just we're going to increase your calories.
1: Yeah, so essentially what I like to say with to people is okay a reverse diet we're going to because people say oh i'm gonna add calories it's gonna happen well first of all i don't know what's gonna happen (laughs) but what's most likely gonna happen is that you're going to roughly maintain which means plus or minus a little bit like most people don't skew crazy some people gain a lot of weight some people gain very little weight or lose weight i mean those are obviously the hyper responders in either section but most people kind of roughly maintain plus or minus a little bit here and there the biggest thing with reverse dieting. And with somebody who's coming to you in this frustrated place, oh, I ate 1,200 calories, which, okay, probably means 1,200 calories for a few days, then they kind of go off the rails, and then they kind of come back down, right? Like, they're never really consistent, is we need to get consistent again. So when somebody tells me that their calories are low and they're not losing weight, I immediately go, hmm, okay, well, there's likely lack of consistency here. We need to bring that in first, which bringing calories up will bring more consistency because they're actually going to stick with it, right? Not all, but most. Um, because hunger is the biggest determinant in my experience with people with dieting. Just that's what it is. Like nobody really likes to be hungry. And when they feel like that, it's very easy to fall off. Um, There's some people, like you said, who can kind of embrace this hunger, sit with it. 90% of people are not. So um, you bring their food up, they actually start being consistent and then they start kind of managing their weight. I'm like, Oh my God, this is magic. It's not magic. You're just actually being consistent and actually hitting a certain calorie goal instead of going low, 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 high, low, 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 high. (laughs) Cause that's what most people do, and it's fine. But that's just—it's just not as advantageous for physique, body comp, or health goals, really. So, you know, reversing—we're going to be bringing up. It really depends, obviously, where the person's at. But I would say I try to do a very balanced approach with kind of higherish carbs, moderate fat, higher protein. It's kind of usually my go-to. Depends on how the person's responding, their history all these different things. So some people will be more moderate with carbs, a little bit higher fat. I don't find that most people can do both. Most people, unless you're a genetic anomaly or a very large muscular guy, can eat very high calorie, very high carb and fat. That's just that is by textbook definition an obesogenic diet. <laughs> but so most people are not gonna be able to do that. So you're gonna have to kind of preferential preferentiate one, you know, whether it's carbs or fat. I like to keep protein high if somebody's caring about their body composition, which is why they're usually coming to me for you most likely. Um, so high protein is kind of the name of the game. So I'll slowly add protein in depending again, where it's at, mostly adding carbs, a little bit of fats. Um, and then, you know, over time as somebody really kind of hones in this consistency, then we can do things like, Hey, let's add in this untracked meal or, Hey, you know, let's take the day off of tracking or let's do, you know, whatever it might be kind of add in a little bit more. I like, I call it structured flexibility. So most of the time we're structured, but then we also have that, that flexibility in there as well. Um, Definitely bringing cardio down. Again, this really depends on people. Um, And I've I've changed my stance on this over time as well. Um, I do not think that cardio is the devil, but I do like, you know, that's not true at all. And for a lot of people, it's going to be the reality that they need to do kind of semi-consistent cardio. But I would say, ideally, we're going to be having less cardio. Definitely not every day if we're not dieting. um, Less cardio um and harder training sessions because a lot of people will prioritize cardio over their training sessions and if you actually focus on weight training and you're more progressive with that I find that people do not need as much cardio. Now, I don't think you should totally cut cardio out for no health and just piece of entry. Um, you know, so that's, that's again, where it kind comes of like nuanced. Um, but if somebody comes to me and they're like, "Hey, my goal is to have as much muscle as pop- possible." Okay, we're not doing a ton of cardio and we're really focusing on training and eating more. You know, so it kind of depends on the person. But if they're like, hey, I'm, you know, 45 and I kind of want to just, you know, maintain a healthy-ish body weight. Okay, no, we're going to be doing some cardio, you know, a few days a week. So I know that doesn't answer the question. No, that's perfect. There's, really, there's like no direct
0: answer. No, I know. Everybody's um, different. but And I do want to <laughs> get into the cardio discussion. But first, I want to, um, like – from the competitor side of things, you mentioned how the off season is a little bit more challenging to stay consistent. And it's easy just to kind of you, you had that like, huge moment of stepping on stage. And now it's like, all right, well, you know, I have some freedom back in my life. So do you try and transition um, your athletes away from tracking at that point? Is it like a slow, gradual, like, let's realize that we're in a like sensitive state here and be consistent as we kind of reverse out and try to gradually mm-hmm. move away. What's your approach there?
1: This is super individualized. And this is something that I've really kind of adapted over the years before I used to just be like, oh, everybody's got to do the same thing. And I was realizing that, wow, well, there's, some people are successful and some people aren't, right? Um, immediately, we're bringing calories up just because 95% of people who diet are going to be on low calories or not sustainable, right? It's just the way that it is. Um, So we're immediately going to bring that up. um, And how much? It depends on the person. Um, It depends on how they've been feeling. depends on how they kind of where they're at. And then we really take it week by week. Some people really like kind of the more structured, strict reverse. I'm still going to bring calories up, but it's going to be a lot more structured. Other people mentally, like, cannot handle it. So that's where we kind of add in either untracked meals or we have – you know, I set more like sometimes for clients now I set like guidelines. I don't even set macros and that won't be forever, but that's sometimes right. Like, Hey, I need you to eat four meals, blah, blah, blah. Have this serving of fruit, you know, whatever. And sometimes that works better for them. Um, and it, it really just depends on where the client is at mentally. So there's always going to be the optimal way. And then there's always going to be like, what can they actually do? Um, this also depends too on if they have another show or not soon ish. Um, if they're, you know you have a lot more flexibility if somebody's taking a while off versus um when somebody has you know is trying to be competitive again fairly soon that's when we got to be a lot stricter and it's like hey if this is your goal then we got to actually do it um somebody's like i'm not competing again for a while like i just need to take some time okay now we can be a little bit more flexible but calories are always going to be coming up higher but the way that I structure it is going to be super different for people because um, some people just really can't mentally handle it afterwards um, as far as like looking at a food scale, you know what I mean? Um, but then some people like almost use that too much of a crutch, right? Like, yeah. you know, th- there's different spectrums. So it's, it's that's where coaching is so important. Like actually coaching people, not just like, Hey, here's your numbers. Like giving people macro numbers is great. That's not coaching. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like for some people, they, they, Don't need much of that. Other people need a lot more of like the hands-on kind of coaching and and working through the problems, and it that also depends on the stage that they're at. Like some people are like, you know, just spot on when they're in some phases, and then other people, and then they struggle in others, and then like vice versa.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I totally love that answer because it's frustrating for people to hear when you can't give a blanket statement, but it really does depend on the individual. And like we have, we know where we need to get, we know where we need to be. But the methodology of getting there is going to be different based on the individual. And I think that that's, you know, so important. Um, And you're right, that's where coaching is invaluable, in my opinion. Um, So let's, let's circle back to the cardio discussion. And I know this is going to be another it depends situation, but I still want to put it out there and hear your (laughs) thoughts. Because the other day, I was, um, I was like, probably 36 hours fasted. And it's not something that I do regularly. But sometimes I like to experiment and see how I feel. And I was in the gym, and I literally had no energy. And I was still getting my workout in and thinking to myself, this is probably how a competitor feels when they're like, winding down their prep and like forced to do this, like, first thing in the morning on no, you know, they have no energy. And it's like, get on the stair, whatever stepper and like, or the elliptical and just put in that time. So I'm wondering like how you utilize cardio as a tool and when like the the kinds of cardio that you would kind of just basically different scenarios where you might utilize it.
1: So first the goal is whatever is going to get the results, right? I think a lot of people have fallen into the camp of, um, you know, kind of like a pendulum swing from like do whatever it takes for bodybuilding to like no we'll do as little as necessary and it's like no we need to do whatever actually it takes with a logical approach right so what happened was a lot of people would say oh do whatever it takes and do two hours of cardio at the start of your prep for 16 weeks like that's not a good idea uh, obviously but at the at the same token you might have to get somewhere near there at the end of your prep right so it has to be taken in like stepwise fashion Um, So yes, the goal for a physique athlete, for most of my athletes, is we work down to minimal cardio off-season. Most people work down to 30 to 60 minutes a week, getting a little bit of cardiovascular training in there. Um, I'm kind of monitoring or asking them about their overall activity levels. Um, But for the most part, they're semi-active, but nothing crazy, like focusing on training and recovery. When we start prep, yes, I'll add cardio. Some people out with sixty minutes. Some people start out with ninety. Some people start with one twenty. Whatever. It also depends on their history with me. Some people will, um, you know, if I know their body a little bit more than others, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, this person needs more cardio than the other. Um, then we, I kind of will just add a little bit more to start. Um, but it's not uncommon to start low and really focus on the diet because the biggest thing people forget about cardio is that you actually have to recover from cardio. Doesn't matter that it's steady state and that it's easy, it's still a recovery for your body. So, as a physique athlete, the first thing that should be in check is your diet. Second thing should be your resistance training. And then the third thing should be your cardio. Now, because, you know, if you don't want to eat just lettuce, it's nice to do cardio to kind of increase your deficit, but it does come with a cost. You know what I mean? Which, again, is why I don't love HIT because there is a even Larger recovery stimulus than, say, steady state. What I find, kind of the nuances, is people who are naturally more like ectomorphish um, really get skinny with a lot of cardio. So I really have to be careful with them, and I will. I would rather hammer them with the diet, and then when they are lean enough, add in more things. You know, whether it's a diet break or a refeed week or whatever. Um, So for them, if somebody's already starting kind of lean or they're just naturally not as muscular, um, I have to be careful with that. Um, if somebody I found, if they're just a little bit more muscular and denser, I can usually hammer them with the cardio because they just have more to lose and they clearly are already like more of a muscular person. It's not as hard for them. So that is kind of where the biggest differences come from. Now I will also say that, um, for most what i find for most people is we can get to a certain level with a certain amount of cardio but then when it's time to drop the hammer we got to drop the hammer you know so for me for example um i saw pretty good consistent weight loss for most of my prep you know in the beginning bringing food down bringing cardio up but nothing substantial like so i work with cliff wilson who's a I would call him an anti-cardio proponent. Um, he is somebody who does not like overusing cardio, but when we need to use it, we use it. So for me, for a lot of my prep, I was doing about 120 to 180 minutes a week for the first few months. Like, so nothing crazy, you know, but getting some in, but not whatever. The end of prep, and for the last few months, I was doing an hour every single day. So 420 minutes, which again, not very sustainable, but something I had to do. I have some clients do far less, and some clients even do more than that. It literally just depends on them. So I think a lot of people look at cardio and think, oh, how little can I do? And it's like, well, you know, it really depends on your body and how you're responding. Um, and then kind of like we talked about that hit component. Some people, like I'm telling you, man, some people thrive off of hit, And they're like, I can't do another steady state session. Can I do hit?" And I'm like, how can you do hit?" But you can't be like, you know, like, I'm like, I don't understand. But they're like, I don't know. I just I feel great. I love it. I also think this depends on people how they train. So some people train just way harder than others. And that's just how it is. And so the people who train a lot harder, I find don't need hit or they can't really do hit. And then people who kind of train hard, but like, you know, not as hard really thrive off of the hits. So it just really depends, yeah, obviously. Absolutely. Um, but was that a good kind of explanation? That was of-
0: perfect. Exactly what I okay. was looking for. So like, <laughs> you know, you have it as a tool in your toolbox and you pull it out when needed. And it's like, yeah. like anything else. You wouldn't take somebody from 2,000 calories to 1,000 calories right off the bat because you're kind of wasting that that card that you have to play. Uh, yeah. And so being strategic about it and understanding your client, again, coming back to individual variants and actually the art of coaching, which is yeah. you know so important. It's definitely an
1: art. Um, and that obviously takes practice and experience. Like I'm a way different coach. I am now than I was a year ago than I was three years ago. I mean, you know, it's just, it's always constantly evolving um, and you have to be willing to try things. Like I had to be willing to try different things with clients, you know, hey, we're going to really hammer the diet or hey, we're really going to hammer the cardio, like what happens? And some people respond really well, some people don't, and then you got to change. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> so I could literally pick your brain for like hours, but the last question that I have for you, I promise I'll let you go, is you made an amazing post about dieting um, and I don't remember how long ago it was, but the basic concept was that, guess what? Dieting is fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of what you're trying to accomplish, if you are manipulating your body weight it's difficult and there's going to be some you know some sacrifices there's going to be some hunger there's going to be maybe yes. some lethargy there's going to be some maybe sleep disturbances can you just talk about like that mindset and that understanding
1: so i think a lot of people miss and again this is a sort of a byproduct of social media and maybe doing as little as necessary right um, they think oh uh, i can just eat whatever i want and lose weight okay well <laughs> back up uh, also you know, I wouldn't necessarily support that. Right. It's like, okay, mm, that's where, again, the flexible dieting like pendulum has swung so far, you know? And it's like, okay, maybe you shouldn't only eat chicken and broccoli, but maybe you shouldn't only eat pop tarts and protein shakes. Like there has to be some kind of middle ground here. Right. Um, I think that people have tried to popularize the notion that dieting shouldn't be that hard. And that's honestly just not fucking true. I don't care If you have five pounds to lose or 50 pounds to lose, you are disrupting your current homeostasis. And unless you've worked really, really hard to get there, like it's like uncomfortably gaining weight all the time, like I'm pushing food all the time. Yeah, you're going to lose five pounds easily. But if you're somebody who's just kind of maintaining where you're at and you're like, hey, I want to make a change. I want to lose five, 10, whatever pounds. That's still going to be hard, even though it's a smaller number in comparison to maybe even like a competition prep. So I think that if you go into the mindset of like, oh, this is going to be easy, like dieting shouldn't be that hard, you are going to be met with so much resistance. Expecting and embracing that it's going to be challenging was one of the best things that I could have ever done and something that I really try and instill with my clients. Um, because again, it does not matter how big or small the weight loss is. It is a massive change to where you're currently at. So there is going to be disruptions. There is going to be hunger and you're going to be tired and you may have sleep disturbances and whatever. But if you – and now I think why why this came about was because people were unnecessarily making things harder than they needed to be. And I'm not a proponent of that. I don't think you should make things harder on yourself than they need to be for the sake of being hard. Right. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. Right. <laughs> like it doesn't mean like – just because you're not eating tilapia, you know, for breakfast, doesn't mean that dieting's easy. Like it might be easier, right? But it's still gonna be. There's always a, a level of sacrifice, and I think people expect weight to come off if they're, you know, just oh, I'm just tracking my macros. It's just gonna be easy to lose weight. You still have to watch how much you're eating, just because you're choosing what you eat. Yes. So um it and I find that people really fall into this problem too when they're like, Oh, I'll just do like a little mini cut and they don't really take it seriously. And how do I know this? Because I've done that. Yeah. Like oh, I'll do a mini cut. Ah, it's just a mini cut, right. it doesn't matter, I can go do this. And then you're like, fuck, I'm not making any progress. <laughs> well, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Because you're not taking it seriously. So you want to lose five pounds and actually keep five pounds off? That seems small, but that is significant, you know what I mean? Um, and that does that is gonna take a certain level of commitment and focus and dedication. Um, And it's not just going to come off easily. So going into any kind of diet, I don't care how big or small the deficit needs to be or how big or small your goal is, you need to take it like it's a serious endeavor. And then you're actually going to be able to get the weight off and hopefully keep it off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just creating that expectation from the beginning. It it creates awareness and that's huge because now you can actually decide, is this really what I want? Is it a priority for me right now? Because, you know, I've definitely been in
1: totally.
0: Yep, exactly. And I've been in that situation a number of times where, in theory, I'm like, yeah, it would be great to cut for, you know, whatever. But then I'm like, you know what? I jump in and then I realize that I'm not ready for that right now. And it's just not a priority in my life at the moment and that's totally okay but having that awareness is so important because when your expectations don't align with reality it can get really frustrating and you start to think that you can't accomplish something but really it's just not important to you at that time
1: exactly like it is not the priority and that's okay like we talked about earlier about like the balance of different priorities um it doesn't mean that you have to eat like a piece of shit just because your priority isn't your physique but it doesn't mean like, I'm not suggesting you do that, but you also don't have to focus on every single gram of food and, you know, making sure that you're in a deficit, yes. right? Like, that might be counterproductive to what you're doing right now. Um, energy availability is a real thing for, like, your brain yeah. and, like, your overall, like, function. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you have to really be ready to diet. Um, and if you're not, that's fine. Just being honest with yourself or if you are working with somebody – Um, if, you know, people say, oh, I feel like I'm letting you down. You're not letting me down at all. You're letting me down. You're not taking, like, advantage of, like, coaching and, like, our relationship in the best way possible if you're not aligning your goals right. Like, if I say, hey, do you want to do a cut? And you're like, yeah, and then you really don't. Why would you say that? Like, that's terrible. Like, I don't want you to do that. Like, I'm just saying, hey, here are the options. Like, what do you want to do right now? If somebody's like, hey, I, uh, you know, I would rather do this in a few weeks and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but I will say on this token though that um, there are some people who have convinced themselves that there's always a better time and there's not. There is literally always something that is going to come up. Yes. 110 billion things are going to come up Absolutely. in your way that will you know so just oh I'll start next month after whatever. No, no, no. If you want to start and you're mentally ready then start
0: hundred percent agree because
1: next month you're going to want to start but then you're like oh shit this came up too yeah so that's the wrong mindset to have around that um but the right mindset is hey i don't have enough time to dedicate to this um and it's not a priority i'm not going to but trust me people do that say all the time oh i'll just do it after no
0: yep I know. i'm so glad you brought that up that is so <laughs> important to say because you're 100 percent right that if it's important to you at that time I don't care what your calendar says. I don't care if you have a weekend getaway planned. I don't care. Like like you brought your own example up of, you know, all the shit that you had going on through your you know, your prep and, you know, buying you know, buying a house and just every all the travel and craziness that a lot of people are like, Oh, well I'll just wait until after I'm done traveling, or I'll wait until after this is all settled and yes. there's never gonna be a perfect time. You can try to like clear your calendar as much as possible, it doesn't work. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the other thing that you mentioned uh, earlier that I just want to highlight because it was a powerful point was about the fact that the effort that it takes to lose like five pounds, 10 pounds, 20 pounds, it doesn't matter. We know it's going to be met with resistance and it's going to be difficult. But that same, the same level of effort, the habits and the actions that you took to get to that point are the same that you'll you'll have to do to maintain it. And and that's something oh, yeah. that I think gets lost on people is they, they have this like, I'm just going to get to this goal. And then they default back to the habits that had them further away from that goal. And yes. And And that's
1: what, that's where people struggle really badly with the competing. Um, and this is something that I've struggled with with competing is because you think, Oh, it's off season. I'll just, I'm going to diet soon. Anyway, I might as well just do this now. I didn't have it while I was dieting. I'm not going to be able to have it while I'm dieting. Um, I might as well get it out of my system now, or I might as well like, you know, whatever the hell you're trying to justify it.
0: Yeah. Um I'll call that last it, chance syndrome. I'm I'm guilty yeah. of that.
1: <laughs> oh, I think I think a lot of people are and they don't want to admit it. Yeah. Um, but it's something that I definitely have struggled with. Like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna compete, so I'll just get it off then. It's fine. Yeah. But at some point, I'm not gonna compete anymore. You know right. what I mean? And you have to know and you have to and the same thing even if you're not competing. It, it, people who just diet all the time, right? Like diet, not diet, diet, not diet. Like if you have that mindset you're always going to be getting back to the not dieting physique and mindset, right? So for a competitor, you can't stay there, which is why it's really easy to go the other way because you shouldn't be there. But for somebody who is overweight or wants to just lose 10 pounds finally and, and be at a healthy, less 10 pound weight than they are, that is going to require a lot of skills to become your new maintenance. Absolutely. And it's like a lot of habits. Like, it's not just going to just, oh, I just lost some pounds. I'm just going to stay off. No, nope. Your body's like, let's go back. Let's go back there. It's way, way better.
0: <laughs> exactly. And without even knowing it, we came full circle around to how we started about it's not just calories and protein and send you on your way. And so yep. I think that's important, you know, when it comes <laughs> to understanding, uh, you know, just the long term sustainability factor. Yes. Uh, so I very much appreciate your time. And if you could please tell everybody how they can connect with you and learn about, All the great things you have going on and all that good stuff.
1: Awesome. Well, first of all, again, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. Um, So website is www.com. TeamLocoFit.com. Uh, on there, you will learn all about me, my coaches, what we offer. Um, and also on there is a place to subscribe to our newsletter. So once a week, we put out something from all the four coaches. Um, it's a completely free newsletter. It's really good information. Uh, my social media is at Lauren Conlon, L-A-U-R-I-N. Uh, the team page is at TeamLocoFit. Uh, my YouTube channel, which has a bunch of informative videos of me just talking to the camera, nothing fancy over here, uh, is just Lauren Conlin as well. So pretty much any... We've been trying to put out a YouTube video and a newsletter once a week. Uh, Instagram is, I would say, where I'm most active. And then I just got back on Facebook. So oh, nice. trying to do that. Yeah. I've literally made and deleted a Facebook like four or five times in my whole life. I've just never really gotten into it. But I'm going to be starting something on Facebook that involves more of a group thing. Um, so if that's why I need to get back on there. So I'm going to be on there too now. So Lauren Conlin also.
0: <laughs> Very nice. And I can say that you know, you'll be hard pressed to find somebody putting out better content. And so I recommend everybody follow Lauren Conlin. And it's funny, because you mentioned in the beginning, you were a little bit uncomfortable with like, you know, YouTube and putting out content. And now you seem like it's effortless and seamless. And you just are natural and on camera and your ig stories and everything so
1: um i'm definitely not but i appreciate that's good <laughs> that makes me feel good yeah, it, it's so, definitely not for me but i'm happy i
0: mean you've, you've definitely evolved if you were uncomfortable in the beginning to where you are now so um that's awesome to see um anyway i do appreciate your time and i'll talk to you soon maybe see are you gonna be in arizona
1: not for this one okay. uh, i have another wedding that weekend but um potentially the next time if i'm not traveling
0: All right. Well, enjoy the Arnold and everything else that you. you have going on. And I'll talk to you soon.
1: Bye.